This is a podcast from the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. We're in the month of September 2022, and this podcast is coming to you a little bit later in the month than we intended, but it's about something that has only just happened. I'm referring to the failed attempt by Fraser's Hospitality Trust to go private. On the 12th of September, at the so-called scheme meeting, minority investors did not approve the deal. The scheme resolution that was voted on required the support of a majority of investors holding at least 75% of FHT's staple securities. But as it happened, investors holding only 74.88% voted for the deal, just short of the required 75% threshold. In fact, the privatization was effectively shot down by a very small group of investors, specifically 176 investors who held less than 57.2 million of the more than 1.9 billion FHT staple securities in issue. Those 57.2 million staple securities, which were voted against the scheme resolution, represented a stake of less than 3% in FHT. The outcomes of these sorts of scheme meetings tend to hinge on the views of investors holding a small proportion of a company's shares. That's mainly because the majority shareholder and their related parties have to abstain from voting, and many minority investors tend to not actively participate in shareholder meetings. In the case of FHT, nearly 63% of its staple securities were held by Fraser's property and its related parties that had to abstain from voting. Investors who actually voted at the scheme meeting held less than 12% of its staple securities. And of course, it only took investors holding one quarter of those units to scupper the whole deal. In my view, this is a reminder to small investors of the enormous power they sometimes have when it comes to these sorts of corporate exercises. And it's very important that they think carefully about what they're doing. In this podcast, I'm going to talk about what might have motivated minority holders of FHD staple securities to vote against the proposed privatization. I will explain why I would probably have voted differently, and I'll offer my views on what options FHT and its sponsor group now have. After minority investors blocked the privatization of FHT on the 12th of September, the manager of FHT made a statement that sounded quite jarring to me. The CEO of FHT's manager, Yu Chinfen, thanked the holders of FHT's staple securities who voted at the EGM and ski meeting and said, While we believe that the privatization has its merits, staple security holders have expressed their preference for FHT to remain listed, and we're heartened by their support and confidence for FHT. She then added, We shall remain focused to ride on the gradual recovery trajectory and navigate through the challenges and opportunities ahead of us. We continue to stay committed to create and deliver long-term value to our staple security holders. The reason that the privatization was mooted in the first place was because FHT had not delivered long-term value to investors. Back in April, FHT indicated that a strategic review was underway. Independent directors on the boards of its managers enlisted the help of a financial advisor, namely DBS Bank, to explore various possible strategic options to enhance or unlock value for investors. Specifically, FHT's managers explored continuing with their existing strategy, expanding the FHT platform via acquisitions or mergers, pursuing a strategic sale of its assets, and the sale of the FHT platform to a third party or its own sponsor. 
In the midst of the discussions that took place, Fraser's Property, which is FHT's sponsor group, indicated to the independent directors of FHT's managers that hospitality remained one of its core businesses and that it was prepared to discuss taking FHT private. The outcome of this is that on the 13th of June, a scheme of arrangement was unveiled where minority investors would be paid 70 cents per staple security. The announcement of the deal included a frank acknowledgement that FHT, which owns 14 assets across nine cities in Asia, Australia and Europe, had failed to perform well. The managers of FHT noted that despite a series of acquisitions and asset enhancement initiatives, which expanded its portfolio by 35% since its IPO in 2014, FHT's net asset value and distributions per staple security had been in a steady decline, and this was going on even before the pandemic began. This was attributed to weak growth in the hospitality sector in markets where FHT operates, as well as the strengthening of the Singapore dollar. Whatever the reasons for FHT's declining NAV and distributions per staple security, it translated to a weak market valuation for FHT. Since its IPO in 2014 to the 7th of April, which is when FHT's managers indicated that a strategic review was underway, FHT had traded at an average discount to its NAV of 14%. Over the three-year period to April 7, FHG traded at an even bigger discount to NAV of 25%. From its IPO until 2019, before COVID-19 began, FHG traded at a relatively high average DPS yield of 7.2%. Its hospitality peers traded at a yield of 6.4%. This essentially handicapped FHT when it came to raising funds for acquisitions. The proposed privatization of FHT offered minority investors a means of cashing out at a decent price and reinvesting their capital elsewhere. The $0.70 per staple security that investors would have received was 22.8% more than FHT's closing price on April 7th, when the strategic review was announced. It was also 48.5% more than FHT's three-month volume-weighted average price at that point. More importantly, perhaps, the $0.70 that the offerer was proposing to pay was a 7% premium to FHT's book value. It also translated to a total return of 22.7% for investors who bought FHT's staple securities at its IPO in 2014 and subscribed to its rights issue in 2016. That doesn't sound like much compared to the total return of 48.9% that Ascot Residence Trust delivered during the same period but it was comparable to CDL Hospitality Trust's total return of 20.7% and well ahead of Far East Hospitality Trust's 7.9%. So why didn't investors vote in favour of FHT's privatisation? I'm going to talk about that next. Discover the Business Times podcasts, Money Hacks, Property BT, Mark to Market, Wealth BT and Market Focus, your authoritative guide to make the right decisions for your money and investments. Go to bt.sg podcasts to download or listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to Mark to Market from the Business Times. One problem that some minority investors might have had with the proposed privatization was its timing. With the pandemic receding, international borders are opening and people are beginning to travel again. That's translating to very strong demand for flights and hotel rooms. Some investors might have felt that FHT's sponsor group was being opportunistic in proposing the privatization now. They might feel that in the months ahead, 
the normalization of international travel will provide a very strong tailwind for FHT. In fact, during most of 2018 and 2019, FHT's staple securities traded above 70 cents. Some long-term investors might also remember that FHT came to market at 88 cents per staple security, and they might be hoping to see it recover to that level in the future. It also probably hasn't escaped the attention of some investors that the family of Thai billionaire Charawan Sri Badanabakti is actually quite heavily invested in FHT. Fraser's property holds nearly 497 million FHT staple securities, representing a 25.8% stake. The TCC Group holds a further 707 million FHT staple securities, representing a 36.7% stake. With the Sri Banana Bhakti family holding such a large deemed interest in FHT, many investors might be assuming that something will eventually be done to unlock value and enhance its returns, and all they need to do is hold on. I don't disagree with any of this, but as I said at the beginning of this podcast, if I were invested in FHT, I would probably have voted for the privatization. And if I thought there was a risk of it not going through, I would have tried to sell my holdings prior to the EGM and ski meeting. While a recovery in international travel bodes well for FHT, investors had been offered a price that was well above FHT's market price, as well as its book value. The privatization of FHT would have enabled investors to cash out at a time when rising inflation and interest rates are creating enormous uncertainty and opportunities in global markets. Moreover, the steady decline in NEV and distributions per staple security that FHT was suffering even before COVID-19 struck suggests that there's something wrong with its overall strategy. FHT was not shunned by the market because it was operating in a sector that was out of favour, but because its assets were not delivering good returns in Singapore dollar terms. Indeed, the apathy towards FHT might, ironically, have been one reason the proposed privatisation did not go through. After underperforming for so long, many holders of its staple securities evidently did not bother voting at the EGMN scheme meeting, which enabled a small number of hopeful investors to block the proposed privatisation. The big question now is what happens next? In my view, the independent directors of FHT's managers, who started all of this with their strategic review, ought to respond by going back to the drawing board and coming up with alternative ideas to unlock value and enhance returns for investors in FHT. The problem is, some of the alternative ideas that the independent directors have already mooted will probably not work in view of what's happened. For instance, pursuing a strategic sale of FHT's properties or the sale of the whole FHT platform to a third party is unlikely to be feasible. After all, the Fraser's Property Group has already made it clear that hospitality remains one of its core businesses, and it has indicated through the proposed privatization of FHT that it is prepared to buy FHT and its underlying assets at 70 cents per staple security. But that wasn't enough for minority investors. Even if a third-party buyer prepared to pay the equivalent of, say, $0.80 per staple security were to be found, Freezer's property might not be a seller at that price. On the other hand, expanding the FHT platform through acquisitions or mergers could be tricky to pull off. Given FHT's relatively small size and the relatively low valuations that its staple securities garner in the market, it might be at a disadvantage in those sorts of transactions. The only option left would be for FHD's managers to continue with its existing strategy. But given FHD's poor performance so far, that's unlikely to excite the market, the post-pandemic recovery notwithstanding. So what can be done? 
Are minority investors of FHT doomed to suffer subpar returns? Should they give up and just sell? Or is there a reason for them to hold on? In my view, the independent directors of FHT's managers could engage FHT's sponsor group on its overall strategy in the hospitality sector. Whatever the challenges are of operating in this sector, the fact is FHT has been an underperformer, and there's probably something it can learn from other hospitality players. Over time, the Fraser's Property Group could work towards reconstituting FHT's portfolio by gradually selling off properties that are unlikely to perform well and acquiring hospitality assets with better prospects. This could be a long, drawn-out process, and a lot really depends on FHT's sponsor group. But if FHT is to become more attractive to investors, its managers and sponsor group probably need to help it chart a new direction. I'm Senior Correspondent Ben Paul, And that's it for this episode of Mark to Market. That was a podcast from the Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast or via the Google Voice Assistant Amazon-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3 you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.